Welcome to the Thought Leaders but Lo-Fi Podcast. This is Dean Pala, and today we're listening to one of America's most historic recorded speeches. This is FDR at his inaugural address in 1933. You've probably heard reference of this speech. This is the one that starts off with, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. But what I think is so remarkable about this speech is what it does in the context of what was going on in the world at the time. So at this time in history, the Great Depression had been going on for about four years, almost four years at this point, and it was getting worse and worse. And so America needed somebody to lead them out of this catastrophe. And that's ultimately what FDR was able to do. But what I think is really special about this particular speech is FDR understood that his first task, yes, as he says in the speech, it's to put people back to work and he's got a plan for that. But he knew deep down his real first task was to cheer people up and to give people a reason to hope and keep fighting and to do a complete U-turn on the morale of the American people. And that's really how I like to see this speech. In this speech, he's talking about how money and material things are, are not actually all that important to a person's happiness and how we should value other things more than we value economic or political status. And aside from that, he was ready to go. He was talking about action, taking action, doing things right away. And that was inspiring. It made people feel like, wow, this guy has an actual plan and we're going to get out of this. And ultimately, he did. FDR was an incredible leader for a lot of reasons. And this speech is one of my favorite examples of that. So I hope that you enjoy listening to FDR's inaugural address from March 4th, 1933. But it's lo-fi. Justice, my friends, this is a day of national consecration, and I am certain that on this day my fellow Americans expect that on my induction into the presidency, I will address them with a candor and a decision which the present situation of our people entails. This is preeminently the time to speak the truth, the whole truth, frankly and boldly. Nor need we shrink from honestly facing conditions in our country today. This great nation will endure as it has endured, will revive and will prosper. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. In every dark hour of our national life, a leadership of frankness and of vigor has met with that understanding and support of the people themselves which is essential to victory. And I am convinced that you will again give that support to leadership 
in these critical days. In such a spirit on my part and on yours, we face our common difficulties. They concern, thank God, only material things. Values of front to fantastic levels, taxes of risk, our ability to pay has fallen. Government of all kinds is faced by serious curtailment of income. The means of exchange are frozen in the current of trade. The willard leaves of industrial enterprise lie on every side. Farmers find no market for their produce. And the savings of many years in thousands of families are gone. More important, a host of unemployed citizens face the grim problem of existence and an equally great number toil with little return. Only a foolish optimist can deny the dark realities of the moment. And yet our distress comes from no failure of substance. We are stricken by no plague of locusts. Compared with the perils which our forefathers conquered, because they believed and were not afraid, we have still much to be thankful for. Nature still offers her bounty, and human efforts have multiplied it. Plenty is at our doorstep, but a generous use of it languishes in the very sight of the supply. Primarily, this is because the rulers of the exchange of mankind's good have failed through their own stubbornness and their own incompetence, have admitted their failure and have abdicated. Practices of the unscrupulous money changers stand indicted in the court of public opinion, rejected by the hearts and minds of men. They have tried, but their efforts have been cast in the pattern of an outworn tradition. Faced by failure of credit, they have proposed only the lending of more money. Swift of the lure of profit by which to induce our people to follow their false leadership, they have resorted to exhortation, pleading carefully for a sword confidence. They only know the rules of a generation of self-seekers. They have no faith, and when there is no vision, the people perish. Yes, the money changers have fled from their high seats in the temple of our civilization. We may now restore that temple to the ancient truth. The measure of that restoration lies in the extent to which we apply social value, more noble than mere monetary profit. Happiness lies not in the mere possession of money. It lies in the joy of achievement, in the thrill of creative effort, the joy in the moral stimulation of work. No longer must be forgotten in the mad chase of evanescent profit. Of success goes hand in hand with the abandonment 
of the false beliefs of public office and high political positions are to be valued only by the standard of pride of place and personal profit. And there must be an end to a conduct in banking and in business, which too often has given to a sacred trust the likeness of callous and selfish wrongdoing. Small wonder that confidence languishes for it thrives only on honesty, on honor, on the sacredness of obligation, on faithful protection, and on unselfish performance. Without them, it cannot live. Restoration calls, however, not for changes in ethics alone. This nation is asking for action, and action now. Our greatest primary task is to put people to work. This is no unsolvable problem if we face it wisely and courageously. It can be accomplished in part by direct recruiting by the government itself, treating the task as we would treat the emergency of a war. But at the same time, through this employment, accomplishing great, greatly needed projects to stimulate and reorganize the use of our great natural resources. Hand in hand with that, we must frankly recognize the overbalance of population in our industrial center. And by engaging on a national scale in a redistribution, endeavor to provide a better use of the land for those best fitted for the land. Yes, the task can be helped by definite efforts to raise the values of agricultural products, and with this the power to purchase the output of our cities. It can be helped by preventing realistically the tragedy of the growing loss through poor foreclosure of our small homes and our farms. It can be helped by insistence that the federal, the state, and the local governments act forthwith on the demand that their costs be drastically reduced. It can be helped by the unifying of relief activities which today are often scattered, uneconomical, unequal. It can be helped by national planning for and supervision of all forms of transportation and of communications and other utilities that have a definitely public character. There are many ways in which it can be helped, but it can never be helped by merely talking about it. We must act, we must act quickly. And finally, in our progress towards a resumption of work, we require two safeguards against a return of the evils of the old order. There must be a strict supervision of all banking and credit and investment. There must be an end to speculation with other people's money. And there must be provision for an adequate 
action in this image, action to this end, is feasible under the form of government which we have inherited from our ancestors. Our constitution is so simple, so practical, that it is possible always to meet extraordinary needs by changes in emphasis and arrangement without loss of essential form. That is why our constitutional system has proved itself the most superbly enduring political mechanism the modern world has ever seen. It has met every stress of vast expansion of territory, of foreign wars, of bitter internal strife, of world relations. And it is to be hoped that the normal balance of executive and legislative authority may be fully equal, fully adequate to meet the unprecedented task before us. But it may be that an unprecedented demand and need for undelayed action may call for temporary departure from that normal balance of public procedure. I am prepared under my constitutional duty to recommend the measures that a stricken nation in the midst of a stricken world may require. These measures or such other measures as the Congress may build out of its experience and wisdom, I shall seek within my constitutional authority to bring to speedy adoption. But in the event that the Congress shall fail to take one of these two forces, in the event that the national emergency is still critical, I shall not evade the clear course of duty that will then confront me. I shall ask the Congress for the one remaining instrument to meet the crisis. Broad executive power to wage a war against the emergency as great as the power that would be given to me if we were in fact invaded by a foreign force. proposed in me, I will return the courage and the devotion that befit the time. I can do no less. We face the arduous days that lie before us in the warm courage of national unity, with the clear consciousness of seeking old and precious moral values with the clean satisfaction that comes from the stern performance of duty by old and young alike, we aim at the assurance of a rounded, a permanent national life. We do not distrust the future of essential democracy. The people of the United States have not failed in their need, they have registered a mandate that they want direct, vigorous action. They have asked for discipline and direction under leadership. They have made me the present instrument of their wishes. In the spirit of the gift, I take it.
nation of a nation, we humbly ask the blessing of God. May he protect each and every one of us. May he guide me in the days to come. podcast, please consider dropping a review and a rating. It is much appreciated. With that, I'll play you out with a new track from Len Trexler. It's a summary track called Bonfire.